I'm always uh, astounded before I get up to preach um, just what the Lord is doing. Uh, we're speaking on uh, enduring unjust suffering and in how it worked out, God in his sovereignty allowed Seth to read in Daniel. And Daniel is per- a, probably a perfect illustration of enduring unjust suffering, right, at the hands uh, of the lion. So I'm just astounded by that. Well, uh, I don't know if you've ever done good to someone. Done good? You done good? <laughs> oh, man. I was a youth ministry major in college, so... You've done good, Scott. You've done good. Have you ever done good to someone and then had to suffer for it? Like you just wanted to help somebody out. You wanted to live out your faith. And then you're just like, oh, man, it just didn't turn out the way you expected. Well, yesterday we had the opportunity, some of us, to uh, do good to the Walker family and to um, load up their truck and send them uh, on their merry way. And uh, I was just so eager to do good. I was looking forward to it. I went out to breakfast beforehand, and I was just zoning up and uh, did good to the walkers. And then I got home after moving, heavy things, being 31 instead of 21, and I said I suffered a little bit. I had to take a couple aspirin. I had to get out the ice pack, and I really couldn't, like, lift up my hand. I couldn't really bend over. My back was just killing me. I'm like, man, doing good, suffering, oh, what's going on? It shouldn't be this way, right? But I'm sure as a less uh, funny example, we all uh, experience some kind of suffering. Um, there's problem, there's the suffering in, in this world, and, and I think personally the Bible and Christianity has the best answer and explanation to that. But as we do good, as we seek to live a godly life, we will, it will produce suffering. As we live out our faith in a hostile environment, we will, um, we will suffer. Um, that is something that's inevitable. Um, suffering is actually normal for Christians. If you were to take all of history, all the Christians throughout all of history, and then lump that into the Christians around the world, it's normal for Christians to suffer. If you're in a, uh, a third world country, if you're uh, in a, the Middle East, There's actually, if you're in the Middle East and you're a Christian, they they mark your driver's license so people know that you are a follower of Jesus and you may be rejected jobs for it. You may uh, face persecution. Your family may um, disown you. And I think in America, we don't really suffer as much. We don't really understand that because God has us blessed in in a certain reality. We're we're sheltered from a lot of that suffering. Um, But I think as we continue to live out Uh, the Christian life, as we continue to live out our faith in a hostile world, we will eventually face suffering. And so how do we handle that? How do we endure that? Do we fear it? Do we run away from it? This morning in our text, Peter is going to give us an encouragement on how to endure suffering and then also point us to an example to empower us. But I want you to think boxing for, for me, all right? You know, you're kind of on your tippy toes, right? The boxing ring. And, you know, after you kind of, you say you're in the boxing ring and, and you're just getting pounded by suffering, right? Peter is going to be, they call it the corner man, the guy in the corner that's going to sit down and say, hey, let me encourage you. Let me give you some encouragement to endure. He's going to wipe the sweat off our brow. He's maybe going to, you know, get the blood from our mouth. He's going to give us an encouragement of how to endure unjust suffering. 
And then he's going to give us an example that empowers us to suffer. Because as Christians, we will engage in suffering. As Christians who live out their faith, revering Christ, we will face sufferings. However, we can be encouraged to endure because we are blessed by God. So the first encouragement that Paul, Peter gives us, if you turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, uh, if you need a Bible, it's on the chair racks in front of you. It's page f- uh, 851. We're continuing our series, Living, difficult, Living Differently in Difficult Days. There's no doubt that we're in difficult days, and, and we as Christians ought to live differently because we are different. And so we're just going to walk down through uh, this passage together. Uh, and, and pull from Peter's encouragement to the Christian as we suffer. I just want to point back at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 12. Glenn ended that uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and, and part of that is, is a, is a fr- phrase, quote from the Old Testament. It says, the, Lord, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do wicked. The Lord sees us. The Lord knows. He hears our prayers. And so Paul, Peter is, is continuing that in verse 13 when he says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Who's going to harm you in light of, of God looking at you in your suffering and his face is against the wicked? He said, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And what he's saying here is if, if, if you're in a lineup, right, and you've got a lineup and people's like, hey, I'm going to do, do evil. I'm going to make people suffer. And you've got people that are standing here that are doing good or doing evil. Most likely, people are going to overlook those who do, who do good. By living out our Christian faith, there's an idea that people don't want to repay evil for good. So he says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to or do good? So as we live our Christian life, as we live differently, people aren't just going to go after us, typically. But he says, but. But there are going to be some people who are opposed to Christianity, to oppose to our value system, to oppose to our good works, and they're going to cause us to suffer. But he says, even if, You should suffer for what is right. You are blessed. That's the first encouragement. We are blessed. You say, how can I be blessed when I endure suffering, unjust suffering? Well, we know from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19, if you look over, the unjust suffering, enduring an unjust suffering, finds favor with God. For if when you do right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, endure it, this finds favor with God. God looks at that and he, he is pleased. In the midst of suffering unjustly for doing what he's called us to do, you suffer, he is pleased. We are blessed by God. And again, back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 12, God's eyes are on the righteous and he hears our prayer. We're blessed because he sees us and he hears us and he is with us. blessed in suffering. I hate to run. I don't know if, if you're with me. I, I hate to run. If, if someone were to say, you're going to suffer for the rest of your life in a Siberian prison in northern Russia or run, you're going to have to run the rest of your life, the worst part would be running for the rest of your life. For me, for me. 
But if you ever drive in Waverly, there's a guy, I call him Smiley. He's, he, he runs. He's got a bright yellow shirt with a smiley face on it. I don't know if you've ever seen him. I call him Smiley. I don't even know. His, his name's probably Bob. But he's running, right? He's running, and he is just smiles, right? Smile. It's, it's, it's glowing, his smile. And I'm like, he's blessed. He's blessed. He is living as he is blessed. And I'm like, okay, do I, do I smile like that when I'm suffering? Do I think about being blessed? Do I think about God finding favor on me when I am doing good and suffering for it? And he gives us another encouragement to endure. He says, do not be frightened. Verse 14, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Peter's quoting from Isaiah 8 where the, the southern kingdom of of Judah is on the verge of being taken over by two other kingdoms. They're ganging up on them and they're threatening them. And Isaiah says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And why would, would Peter be using this example? When we face suffering for doing what is right, there can be a response of fear. There could be a response of fear. Which is why Peter says, do not be frightened. Fear can keep us from doing what is right. We're afraid of the outcomes. We're afraid of the suffering that might come. Maybe because of the fear we try to remove or ease our suffering instead of endure it. Maybe we're so overcome by fear that we're crippled to do anything and we're just like um, sitting in a rocking chair just going back and forth incapable of going ahead. Maybe we become anxious about what's going to happen. What will happen if I stand up for what is right? What will happen if I endure? We see this all the time in evangelism, right? Maybe we're a fear of what might happen for doing good in evangelism. I remember in college we took a bus trip to New York City where we would go and we would just share the gospel with people all over the place. You know, there's a lot of people in New York City. And so I remember getting on that bus and being terrified of sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus, how would they respond? What might they do? And you know what I did? I got in that bus. I got off. Uh, I, they dropped us off in Times Square. And do you know what I did? I just went out and heralded and preached. And the masses came to Christ. And we baptized them right there. <laughs> I wish, right? Then I had to wake myself up. What I did is I walked down one of the side streets, found a bench, and just sat there. The whole day. While other people were out being bold and, and sharing their faith. So I understand that there can be fear when it comes to doing what is right. The anxiousness of what could happen. Maybe we're calling someone out on their sin and fear keeps us from how they'll respond to us. Maybe we're standing for the truth in our schools or in our workplace. And we're afraid of what might happen so maybe we don't do that. Or maybe we do and we suffer for it. Maybe we have a pregnancy with special needs and the doctors are telling you to just abort the baby, but you know that's wrong. And you're fearful of what might happen. So fear can cripple us from enduring unjust suffering. Are we living in a way that we might suffer. See, some of the times we might not live in such a way to even bring suffering for doing good. What are the areas of our lives that fear is preventing us from doing good? What does the fear of the what if keep us from doing what is right? 
And then Peter doesn't just stop there. That's what I love about the Bible. Peter gives us how we can overcome our fear. And we do that by revering Christ. Revere Christ as Lord, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Some of your translations may say set apart. The idea is regarding Christ as the sovereign Lord who is in control over everything. Who will harm us if we revere Christ as our Lord, the creator, the ruler over everything? Again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If we finish the quote from Isaiah, Peter doesn't do that. If we finish the quote, Isaiah 8, verses 13, where he says, do not fear their threats, do not fear them. He says, the Lord Almighty is the one that you are to regard as holy. You, the Lord Almighty, is the one that you are to regard and to revere as holy. So he says, revere Christ, set, part, set, a Christ, set apart in our hearts. It's, it's, it's from what we were, we were just singing about in the inside, Lord. It's the control center. It's the very nature of what we do. It affects everything that we do. And he's like, in your hearts, in the control center of your human being, we are to revere Christ as Lord. It's the characteristic of a Christian. Lord, I give you the praise from the inside out. And, and what we believe in our heart, it comes out. And he says, as you do this, as you revere Christ as Lord, as you do not suffer do not fear suffering unjustly. As you live differently, as you do good, Peter says this will happen. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is in you. He says people are going to wonder. People are going to see you living differently and say, how, how are you able to do this? And Peter tells us to, to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. When we revere Christ as Lord, people will notice, and we must give a reason. Now, this isn't like a, a seminary dissertation. This isn't an a, a apologetic debate. This is the reason for the hope that you have as you're enduring unjust suffering. I revere Christ as Lord. He is sovereign over everything. I'm blessed. He says that I'm blessed if I endure suffering for what is right. It reminds me of Job. Job, as he's suffering, you know, Satan has to come to God and say, can I do this? God's in control. And then Job responds with, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord of all, why are we afraid? Why are we afraid? Who is going to harm us if we revere Christ as Lord in our hearts? I can't help but thinking as Peter was writing this down, maybe he was reminding of a time where he was revering Christ as Lord but then was afraid. Matthew chapter 14 is the, the Jesus walking on the water. And you know that story, right, with Peter. Verse 28 says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. But what happens with Peter? When he got out of the boat, walked on water towards Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid 
And he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out and caught him. And, and this is what Jesus' response to Peter's fear was. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? I can't help but thinking if Peter was saying, if I just kept my eyes on Jesus, if I kept revering him as Lord over the whole entire of the earth, the God who made the heavens and the seas and the dry land. So acknowledging God in our suffering, revering him as Lord, giving a reason for the hope that we have. Are we quick to acknowledge Christ as Lord in our present circumstances? Or are we so focused on what's going around, the, maybe the suffering that we're enduring, that we're losing sight of the Lord, that we're not revering him as Lord? Are we not taking the time to focus on Christ during our sufferings? And one of the ways that we revere Christ is by looking to his example to empower us to endure suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Jesus did. We have a God, we serve a God who knows what it is to suffer. He's not ignorant of what we're going through. He knows us. He went through that and worse. For Christ suffered for sins. He's like us in our suffering, but he's different because he suffered once. Once, it says. Not twice, not three times, not over and over again, but once. Christ suffered once for sins. We don't have to keep Recrucifying Christ, he suffered once. That goes to this nature of the extent of his sacrifice, his perfection, his eternality. First Peter 2, he tells us Christ suffered and gave us an example that we should follow. Some of your translations might say die. Christ died for sins. Both are acceptable. I think if someone dies, they suffer as they die, but it's the point that he suffered so much to death. And then he qualifies this. Peter says, the righteous, Jesus the righteous, the perfect one for the unrighteous or literally the unjust. This is Christ dying in our place for our sins. We were the unjust. We were the unrighteous. We deserve to face eternal suffering for our sins and hell. But Christ did that in our place to bring us to God. We can be with God because of Jesus. I don't want to minimize suffering, but when we see our present suffering and we look to what could be true of us if Christ did not die for our sins, it should blow it out of the water. Spending eternity in hell for just punishment for my sins would be, would be what I would be owed. But Christ doesn't. That's why I think Paul can say, consider your present sufferings is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. This is the gospel. This is our message. And when we believe this, when we live this out, when we sink this in, it changes who we are and changes how we live. It's just amazing. And he suffered for us so that we can be made whole, so that we can be brought back 
to God. Now Peter goes on a rabbit trail here. And uh, this passage is often debated among scholars and theologians. And I was praying that the Lord would return so I wouldn't have to preach it this morning. (laughs) But if I have to suffer, then I'm suffering for doing good. Now, you can get into all kinds of things. And if you want to know more, just go to the sermon discussion group afterwards. Pastor Glenn is wise, and we can fill you in on that. You can email me if you want. We can go out to coffee. But this is Peter's point, and I'm going to put this in the context to help us understand this. Peter's point is to show us that Christ is victorious over sin and death. That's the point. Okay? And he couches this in in some verses here. So I want to to say 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. Sorry, verse 17 Here's the context. For it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good. And if you jump down to verse 4, chapters one, uh, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body with sin, as a result, that they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So the context is suffering. So we have to understand that. And the point, again, is Peter is making is that Christ is victorious over sin and death. Verse 18 says he was put to death in the body and made alive in the spirit. It's Christ's victory. He died, but he was made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, now who those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. You can kind of see how that can be a little bit confusing. But what I want you to draw your attention to is he made proclamation. He proclaimed his victory, the victory over sin and death. That's what he did. He made proclamation. And the point is that Christ is victorious over sin and death and ultimately over suffering. It's the victory call. He said, hey, I conquered sin. I conquered death. He's he's letting them know. He's making proclamation. And when we believe and act on that, that Christ is victorious over our ultimate suffering, eternity and hell, sin and death, that empowers us to go through our present struggles and trials, to endure. Because what Christ accomplishes for us is eternity with God in heaven. And then Peter uses another example that talks about empowering us for our our suffering. And he uses the illustration of Noah. Again, a little bit tricky, but let's follow along. Verse 20b, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. Talking about the ark. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven And at God's right hand with the angels and authorities and powers subject to him. So baptism. Peter is drawing the analogy of baptism. And he's drawing it from Noah in the flood. So what is baptism? Baptism is an identification right of the believers. When we get baptized, we get baptized by water to show what has happened to us internally. To be a Christian is to be baptized. Water baptism is that symbol of our spiritual baptism with the Holy Spirit. When we, when we believe and are saved, the Holy Spirit places us into the body of believers, which is called spirit baptism, 
And then Christians identify with that by having a physical water baptism as a symbol of what happened. Well, growing up, they called it a, an outward f- act of an inward fact. Baptism. And Peter is here is talking about spiritual baptism and our identification with Christ. So Peter is not saying that baptism saves us in a salvific sense. It doesn't take away our sins. Say that with me. Does not take away. Does not take away. Okay? And so he knows that people might be confused, so he gives two illustrations, examples of it. And we can see that in the following verse. One, not by the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience. He's saying it's not removing anything from us, but it's a pledge of a clear conscience. What does that mean? When we come to Christ, when we acknowledge, when we say, I am a sinner, and I am justly deserved of eternity in hell because of that sin, when we call on the name of the Lord and we are saved, God changes our relationship. He restores us. He justifies us. And then our conscience is no longer under condemnation. We don't fear God. But our conscience is clean knowing that our sin has been paid for by Jesus because he suffered once for sin. So that allows us to have a clear conscience towards God. That we're no longer his enemy. He doesn't view us as, um, um, as a, a, the wrath of God is on us, but that God's wrath was satisfied and now we are restored to God. So that's what he's saying about the clear conscience. And then he goes further and he says, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. We're saved by the resurrection of Jesus. And baptism is a symbol of that, as a symbol of being saved. And so the floodwaters that brought judgment on the world in Noah's day remind Peter of Christian baptism. And corresponding to baptism, it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal for a good conscience to the resurrection of Jesus. Because it says, verse 18, that Christ died for sins and brought us to God. That's what brings us to God. So in other words, Christ saves us. This is virtually the definition of baptism. Baptism is an outward expression of a spiritual inward appeal to God for cleansing us from our sins in a way to show, saying, God, I trust you to apply the death of Jesus to me for my sins and to bring me through death and judgment and suffering into new and everlasting life through the resurrection of Jesus. That's why when we baptize here, we say, dead to sin, alive to Christ. It's picturing what has happened. So Peter uses that an example that just as in the minority of people, the eight people from Noah were were saved, they will be saved ultimately because of Jesus. So that's my best shy at it. Again, if you want to know more, go to Glenn's uh, sermon discussion group or send me an email and we can have like a five-hour conversation. So Peter encourages us, right? He's in the ring. He's telling us to endure suffering. He, he encourages us. He says that we're blessed when we suffer unjustly. He says that we're blessed. And he says, don't be afraid. But instead of being afraid, revere Christ in your heart as Lord. Recognize that he is the, in sovereign control over all things. And then when you do that, people are going to notice and we must be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have 
within us. When we endure suffering, when we stand up for truth, and, and when we um, maybe face the, the, the persecution for that, people are going to say, why do you keep doing that? Why do you allow them to treat you like that? Why do you not retaliate? And there, as God provides an open door for you to share the hope that Christ died and ultimately saved us from ultimate suffering, from sin and death, he is victorious. And so when we revere him, when we look to his example, that empowers us to endure suffering. And again, I go back to to Paul's words. For the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to what will be be revealed. So what does this mean for us? This means that we can endure suffering and we can be empowered to do it. We can be zealous for good works even if we suffer. We can be so enthusiastic about doing good despite suffering and we can be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. We can recognize and revere Christ in our heart as Lord instead of seeing our present circumstance as in suffering and losing focus of Christ. We can lift up our eyes as Paul says in Colossians, set our minds on things above where Christ is. We can endure. We can know. We can know that we have a faithful Savior that who suffered for us to bring us to God. So if you're here and, and maybe your conscience towards God is you have no idea or, or you know that God is, God's wrath is on you because you've never accepted and called on God for salvation, you can be brought back to God, even today, by believing the gospel that Christ suffered once for your sins, him being perfectly righteous, for you being totally unrighteous, so that you can have eternity with God, that your conscience with God can be cleansed. If you're here today with Jesus, to to marvel in the fact of what Christ has done, Last week, if you were here, uh, Craig gave us a, a vivid picture of the suffering of Christ. Remember him in our suffering. Revere him in our hearts as Lord. And why do we need to do this? Why, why do we endure suffering? Why can we be enthusiastic about suffering for righteousness? Because, first of all, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord over everything. Look in the, in the last part of the passage. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is now at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. He's Lord of all. So who is there to harm you if you're eager to do good? God's eyes are on the righteous. He hears our prayers, but his face against those who do evil. Christ is Lord of all. And our biggest problem, our greatest suffering, eternally, God has paid for. So we no longer have to endure that. And that empowers us to temporarily endure the sufferings of Christ. To endure the sufferings that we face by living a godly life. We're going to sing a song. And it's awesome. Again, one of those God moments, how God worked it all out. Death was arrested. 
in my life began talking about the wonderful work of Jesus, that everything is under submission to him. So the next time you're facing enduring suffering for what is right, maybe you're fearful of even standing up for truth, remember that Peter and God are your corner man. They're there encouraging you to live differently in difficult days. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he suffered once for our sins. Thank you that he was righteous, even though we were unrighteous, that we could do nothing to save ourselves, but that Christ did that to bring us to you. And Lord, we're going to face sufferings. We're going to face sufferings. We're going to continue to face them. And thank you for the encouragement for Peter and from you that we can endure those sufferings to be encouraged because we're blessed. Help us to revere you in our hearts as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.